0: Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Gramps. I am Guthrie Chamberlain and we are on day 2120 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. Today we continue with our ongoing series of messages that I delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This message is week two on a 14-week series from the book of James titled Wisdom is Faith in Action. I pray that it will be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you. I can't think of much of a more appropriate message for today after the, list, the prayer list we have this morning than the one we're going to have today, the trials of life. And this is our second message in our series on James. And the theme for James will be, Wisdom is Faith in Action. And we're continuing today on this book of Proverbs of the New Testament that we refer to as the book of James or the letter of James. Last week, we introduced James as a half-brother of Jesus and learned a lot about his life and leadership within that first church in Jerusalem. And this week, we're going to start mining those rich nuggets of wisdom, that treasure trove of practical advice that we can use for our everyday life. So if you'll join me on page 1880 in the Pew Bibles, or if you have your own Bible or on the phone, we're going to look at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 12 this morning. And I'd encourage you to keep it open during the message this morning as we'll be going through each of these verses. And James wrote, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work that you, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives it genu- genu- generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of a sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with a scorching heat, and withers the plant, and the blossoms fall, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business." Blessed is the one who perseveres under trials, for having stood the test, that person will receive a crown of life that the Lord has promised those who love him. You don't have to live very long or experience much of a life as an adult to realize that life at times can be complicated, and it's just not real fair at times. Instead, it seems like there's a mountain of hurts, heartaches, pains, problems, Disappointments, discouragements, sicknesses, suffering, disease, and ultimately death, which at times robs us from that sweet song that we should have in our life. We could become discouraged unless we understand its purpose, and the letter of James helps us to gain that understanding. And first we're going to look at verses 1 through 4, and as we discovered last week, in the introduction to James, the recipients of this letter were the people that were enduring adversity. Having been scattered abroad throughout the provinces of Rome, they were disoriented, disillusioned, and probably downright depressed at times. In addition, they were bearing the brunt of criticism, brutality, and unjust treatments. Especially the Christian Jews, they were not only ostracized from Rome, they were also ostracized from their brothers and sisters who were not Messianic Jews, and they were run out of town many times. But James greets these beleaguered believers with a single word in verse one greetings. And though this is a common and official form of greeting at the time, the actual Greek word would be better translated to rejoice. And it's the same word that's found in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, where it says, Rejoice. With those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. The contrast between the troubled situation and James' exhortation to consider it pure joy in the very next line sets the tone for his entire letter. So, without hesitating, James leaps headfirst into the most precious pressing issue that they're facing, and that's trials, which also appears, the same word appears in verse 12. And the word can refer to either a test or a challenge of integrities of one's faith, or it can also refer to temptations, things that appeal to our sinful nature and challenge our moral integrity. We're going to look at those through the first set of that in this week, James 2 through 12, with the first meaning, and then next week we'll look at the temptation aspect of it in verses 13 through 18. If you look in your insert in the bulletin, You'll see there's an arrow pointing up, a gray line, and an arrow pointing down. Now, that gray line is that murky area of where trials start. And they can either turn to troubles, which we need faith, and then we gain endurance and ultimately mature through that. Or next week, we'll look at the downward arrow, where those trials turn to temptation, which turn to lust and sin and ultimately death. So keep this with you as we go through James and think about the two meanings of this trials or temptations. But before we address the testing aspect of these trials, let's look at a couple things about these tests of faith that we'll go through. First of all, trials are inevitable. We'd like them not to be, but they are. Note that James didn't say, Consider it pure joy if... You face many trials of or trials of many kinds. Instead, he uses the word. Consider it pure joy whenever, you face trials of many kinds, like death itself. Trials are inescapable, unavoidable, and often they repeat in our lives. In few things in this world, like death and taxes, troubles, hardships, and challenges, to our faith will come. And we just have to understand that so we'll be prepared for it. Otherwise, we'll be caught off guard. Second, James says that the trials are of many kinds. And it seems like a waste maybe to dwell on this word many kinds. And it might seem like an unimportant word. But think about it. While we can expect trials to come, we have no idea what form they'll take. They'll be different for you than they are for me. Every person will face their own types of trials. And the Greek word for many, kind, many kinds comes and means diverse, variegated, and multicolored. And variegated, that's a big word for me, so I had to understand its meaning. Well, fortunately, Paula had a piece of cloth that she was going to turn into quilt at some point, and this is a variegated piece of cloth. You see, the colors blend one to another, to another to another. This is the same as the many kinds of trials. We don't always know how they'll blend together, but they will and we can expect those trials and they may not be distinct in its nature. It's like an unwelcome guest that bursts into our lives unannounced and they stay way too long. Trials may be frequent and frustrating, maybe just irritations in our life, or they may be epic and life-changing. And we can't predict what form that trial will take. But James uses the word of veil, And he pulls back. And you can see that I'm behind here. I see the trials and troubles, but I can't see what's beyond those. And the book of James helps to pull back this veil so that we can see the purpose of God's trials in our lives. We can't get stuck in this mode where we're just looking at the trials and don't understand them. We have to let God's word pull back that veil so that we can see the real purpose behind those trials that we're going to have in life. And he traces the pathway of the Christian journey through life. James reveals that the presence of trials produces immediate and then ultimate results. First, the testing of our faith produces perseverance. Another word for perseverance that we probably are more familiar with is endurance, in verse verse number three. And it's the immediate result of these trials will cause us to have to persevere through those or gain endurance through those. The word testing refers to something that's authenticating something else. It's like a prospector who bites down on a nugget of gold to see how pure it is, to see the quality of that gold. God applies specific things to his children, testing their faith to reveal their true character. And note that the object of God's testing is your faith. It says the testing of your faith. Our Heavenly Father is no mad scientist. He's not trying to torture us to a breaking point. He's more like an expert trainer. If you had a trainer to build you up physically, to make you healthy. He wants to develop our spiritual muscles. He knows what diet we need to follow. And he knows what schedule is best in order to achieve the best results. The goal is not to snap our muscles, but to stretch them, to lengthen them, to produce perseverance and endurance. It's to give us the strength to hang in there. Endurance is just the initial result, though. Endurance itself has an even greater purpose, and that is to make us mature and complete. Refer to the insert, the up arrow. It brings from troubles through faith, through endurance, to maturity. God says, in effect, that my sovereign plan that I've lined up in these chain of events that take, will take place, and my finger is testing you by pushing the first one, and that's endurance. Endurance takes place, it bumps into maturity, and ultimately leads to a fully developed character. It's like the set of dominoes. And you all know what happens when you push a domino? It bumps to the next, to the next, to the next. And that's what God does with his trials. He gives us endurance and then makes us fully complete, mature, lacking nothing. The people I would regard as having the greatest Christian characters are invariably those people that have learned to handle those hard troubles of life. It's the mother who has lost her child and says, you've given and you've taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or like the father who has worked for a firm for 25 years and put in his best years and then... Something completely unknown to him, he loses his job and he brings his family together and he says, Tonight, let's thank God for the opportunity to trust him. Or it could be the teenager who won't surrender his principles. He says, I'll maintain my standards of morality even though I am shunned or treated as outsiders by my peers. That's the extraordinary, the extraordinary quality of maturity. Completeness and wholeness emerge when we patiently hang in there during those trials. James states that inevitably the trials take various forms and our lives, in our lives, in order to bring about specific purposes, building the quality of endurance and leading his children toward maturity. These verses, he also says, and answers the how question. How can Christians that are neck deep in troubles rise above the situations without dropping out, giving in, or falling short? How can, what can they do to handle the various trials that come their way? And if you look in verses 2 through 4, James gives us three specific imperatives or commands that he wants his readers to follow. The first one in verse 2 is consider. In verse 3, it's the word know. And in verse 4, it's let. Each is worth a closer look. And the background of the Greek word consider is interesting. The word comes from a term that means to lead or to guide, which is our word for the word authority, a leading influence that guides something. So the Greek term here could be for a person leading a procession of people that's in the front of the line, and in this case, what Paul, or James is trying to get across to us is joy, is our attitude that needs to lead every other attitude in our life. Regardless of what you're going through, consider it pure joy. It's like the drum major in front of a marching band who leads and directs the band. That's what this word consider means here. And James goes on to next, and he looks at the word know, which is a present participle. In his way of telling his reader that they can stay joyful, positive, and calm even during trials. And by knowing that God has a greater purpose in our testing, the believer can consider it pure joy. And then finally, in verse 4, James encourages his readers to let perseverance finish its work. In the New Living Translation, in the last part of verse 3, and then going into verse 4, it says, For you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. It's allowing that endurance to grow in our lives. Like if you were working out to gain muscle, you have to go through that trial of sore muscles in order to build up your muscles. In the same way, we have to go through those trials in order to build up our strength and our faith. The language communicates the idea of cooperating with God's work. We find a similar idea of this passive cooperation in the book of 1 Peter 5, verse 6, where he says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and in the right time, he will lift you up with honor. And just as a potter's fingers can mold the clay, just like I'm molding this Play-Doh here, this is what God's doing for us. We are allowing him, we're passively participating in this process by allowing him to mold us into exactly what he wants us to be. And that's what trials do. These fingers of God are the trials that mold us. And we are to cooperate with that molding so that we turn into a shape that is something. Now, if you ever saw my high school or my grade school craft projects, you would know I'm no artist. So this is the best I can do for a bowl. But i molded myself into a bowl. And that way, God molds his people through his trials into what he wants them to be. He wants us to be perfect in maturity and completeness. And he wants that for all of his people. So how do believers rise above the trials of every day? First, we face them with a deliberate attitude of joy calling to mind that the process that God's working out in our lives to make us what he wants us to be, and we're cooperating with that process. And that takes us on to verses 5 through 8, is that after giving a behind-the-scenes look, the ultimate purpose of these trials and practical advice is how to endure them positively. As we're being shaped into that bowl or whatever God wants us to be shaped in, how do we do that positively? James continues the scene by answering another lingering question. Why do trials overwhelm us? Why do sometimes we cave in and we don't turn out to what God would like us to be? What are the things that block that enduring joy when we're in that frying pan of life? And the answer is our lack of wisdom. Therefore, when we're ill-equipped to handle those trials of life, we have one option, and that's to ask God for wisdom. And in this context, wisdom can be defined as the ability to view life from God's perspective. So think about that in this context. Wisdom is the ability to view our life through God's perspective. James says this kind of wisdom comes through prayer. It says if you lack wisdom, ask God. That's all we have to do. It might sometimes be as simple as this prayer. Lord, In this loss or heartache or failure, I ask you for wisdom. Help me first to see what I'm going through from your viewpoint. And then please give me the faith not to give up. It can be as simple as that. So if we lack wisdom, if we lack the joy in our life through trials, let's ask God for wisdom. And of course, when we can and are overwhelmed, faith can be hard to come by. And just a lack of, as the lack of wisdom causes us to become overwhelmed, the lack of faith results in us caving into those trials. James isn't referring to a saving faith here, but a sustaining faith. The faith that allows us to endure the trials, to align our will and our attitude from the divine perspective, abandoning ourselves to God and his mighty hand. The opposite of faith is doubt and unbelief. And James compares a person who doubts to the wave of the sea that is blown and tossed on the wind, like it says in verse 7. The word wave here is used also in the Gospel of Luke when the disciples thought they were going to perish in the storm on the Sea of Galilee. They had to wake Jesus up. He was snoozing when these waves were crashing over the ship. And he, Jesus, immediately, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, it says in eight, Luke chapter 8, verse 24. But interestingly, after the calm of the storm had come, the first words out of Jesus' mouth were, where is your faith? In verse 25. And James describes, describes this deep-seated doubt as being double-minded in verse 8 of our passage today. The word literally means 2 souled to be split into two within our souls. And it appears, this word appears first in any Greek literature in the book of James. So James may have even invented this word. And there's a basic rule, if you invent a word, then you get to decide what it means. And that's what we'll do. We'll look at what James defines this term as. And he uses this term a second time in chapter 4, verse 8, that we'll see in a few weeks, where he says, purify your hearts you double-minded. It indicates an impurity of our inner person where we should be of one thought, one goal, one attitude, and one devotion. We have two competing thoughts. So to be double-minded, a person wants his own will and he also wants God's will. As a result, that kind of person is unstable in everything they do. Pause and just imagine what happens when a double-minded person faces a double-barreled trial in life. Now, I have a story. that I haven't tried it myself, but I hear this is true, that one of the cheapest and easiest ways to catch a monkey is to get a gourd, the gourd with the big bulb on it and a long, skinny neck, and you cut off that neck and clear it all out, And you put food inside it, and you attach this gourd to a tree. And the little monkey will stick his scrawny little hand in that gourd to grab that food, whether it's rice or fruit, whatever it is. But what happens? He can't pull his arm out. And I love chocolate, I have to admit. And I didn't have a gourd or a monkey. (laughs) So if I stick my hand in this jar and I grab this chocolate that I so desire in my life, what happens? I can't pull my hand back out because now my fist is balled up and my hand is stuck. And this is what happens to the little monkey. And then they can run out and catch that monkey because his willingness to give up that bit of food outweighs his desire for freedom. He's so willing to stay attached to that and I will pull my hand out here in a second. But he's so trapped with this hungry, short-sighted monkey that he won't release that food to remove his own fist. He simply lacks the wisdom to decide that freedom without that food is better than captivity with it. And that sort of sounds like some of the government programs of today, where people get trapped in them, And they're so wanting what they get, that they're willing to give up their freedom to get it. And that's the double-minded Christian. Inside this glass jar is my will. Inside that gourd, the monkey is choosing his food, is his will. Yes, part of me wants to live with God, but man, I love chocolate. And I want that chocolate so bad, and I'm not willing to give it up to get my hand out of the jar. So when the trials comes, I refuse to release my grip on my purpose and trust God's purpose. The plan for God is to bring me true freedom. So only when I'm willing to let go of this chocolate can I pull my hand back out and become free from my own will. That plan will bring true freedom. And that takes us on to verses 9 through 12 in our passage for today. Trials affect everybody, even the wealthy, and sometimes They, the wealthy, believe that it's their shield of protection or at least a cushion that will blunt the fall. But wisdom and faith are both required for the rich and the poor. The poor person, he struggles enough with just the trials of being poor along with the other trials of life. But with God's wisdom, he can be reminded of God's provision and his high position for them. And what is that high position? James probably has in mind that high position of being a believer in Christ, the freedom that Christ brings. For the wealthy, though, the worst trials come when they lose their worldly riches, when troubles enter their lives that they can't control with their wealth. They get a terminal illness, And no amount of of money can cure that illness. The rich is, too, reminded of the fragility of life in verse 10. If such a person fails to cooperate with the work of God, but instead, like the monkey or myself, grasping that tidbit of pleasure, is determining his own will. And James says that they will pass away like a wildflower but the one who stands under the weight of the trials will be blessed. And the word blessed here means genuinely happy. Does anybody remember where we covered some words about being blessed before? In our series on the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, Jesus repeats that word nine times in his introduction there. And quite likely, the last couple of those times of the Beatitudes form the background of James's letter here in these verses. Because in Matthew it said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And If you look in verse 12, what does James promise, says that we'll receive? James describes our reward in heaven as a crown of life. And without denying any future rewards that we will most certainly receive, I think there is also a temporal or an earthly crown or reward that we'll get today. I believe the person who trusts and truly lives the Christian life is the one who will persevere under trial. And they are rewarded in a life with maturity, wisdom, and insights into God's plan for their life. And this is where real life is at its best. So as we summarize, let's look at a little bit of application today. It seems so easy to whistle a happy tune when the sun shines like it is today. What a beautiful day we're having. But when its glorious dawn breaks, and life forecast doesn't look so clear and bright. How easy it is to praise our Heavenly Father when the skies are dark, the thunder rolls in, and the violent storms break over our lives. How can anyone sing in those dark days and the nights that are so long? But that's precisely what James calls us to do. In response to the inevitable trials, he says consider it pure joy, with wisdom and with a firm confidence in God, with an eye toward our personal response to God's truth, let's revisit a couple ways to handle adversity. The first one is, when troubles come, it's essential that we respond with wisdom. And how do we get wisdom? We ask God. This insight to trials doesn't come naturally for us. Wisdom for handling trials can come only from God. And that's the primary means that he uses to give us wisdom is through prayer of asking him and through his word. There's no other way to get wisdom than those two avenues. Calling to mind specific scripture will help us. That's why it's so important to know God's word. Let me offer you three just to consider. You might want to write these down for this week. One is Romans 8:28. God permits everything for his good according to his will. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 turns our attention onto Jesus and the other fellow sufferings who have gone before us as models of endurance. And 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 reminds us that endurance will ultimately result in praise glory and honor. If you meditate on those passages this week, I think it will help you to gain some wisdom in God's trials. The second way is that when trouble comes, we must respond in faith. In the context of the trials, faith means living in absolute confidence that God's promises, despite our circumstances that appear to contradict his promises, that his promises are still true. In the middle of a trial, it may appear that God has abandoned us and we're left just to crumble. To those who lack insight and faith, they cannot see beyond those circumstances. And it may appear that the lives are in our tailspin or heading to a catastrophe. But single-minded, focused faith means making a conscious decision to choose our attitude with God's help. It means surrendering fully to God because we trust him. It means letting go of that we treasure so much so we can pull our hand back out and be free. This faith is where we can help each other also. God's spirit within our personal faith is complemented by the faith that we can have together. The strength that we can have together as a congregation, both here at Putnam and the church worldwide. Paul sent Timothy to the Thessalonians to strengthen and encourage their faith. And the author of Hebrew encourages his readers to hold fast their confession of hope by meeting together frequently. That's why he encourages them: don't forsake the meeting together of believers, because it gives us the strength to overcome our trials. In Hebrews 12, 24, it says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Remember that God has not left us on our own to endure these things. He has given us the whole body of Christ, the believers to strengthen, to courage each other in our faith. We need to accept the gift that he has given us. And as my prayer today that you who are wounded, who are hurting, who are undergoing seasons of deep sorrow and pain, that it's never to forget the importance of faith, that steadfast fortitude. And if you need, reach out to fellow believers to help you through those times. And may God grant you, by his spirit and through his word, both wisdom and faith, to reap the blessing of maturity that he's working in each one of us. That's the trials that will lead to maturity. Next week, we're going to look at James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. I encourage you to read that during this week. And it's going to go with the down arrow on how we have to handle those trials of life when they turn to temptation that leads to sin. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you so much. For your love, for your word, for this letter that your brother wrote to the believers scattered abroad and also to us. Help us as we face trials of life to gain the wisdom by asking of you, to gain the faith by going to your word and meditating on it, that we know that your will for us is better, that we don't want to be double-souled or two souled We don't want to be double-minded. We want to be single-focused on what you have for us, for our lives, in order to shape us to be more like Christ. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend. As I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. As we take this trek of life together, Let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously, lead with integrity, and leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain reminding you to keep moving forward, enjoy your journey, and create a great day every day. See you next time for more wisdom from God's word.